gentlemen, boys and girls. I need to come up with a more clever way to start the show. I'm the Gnarly Gnome. This is Cincy Brewcast. Um, if you're a regular listener, you're probably sick of me saying, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Cincy Brewcast. But one of these days, I'll come up with something else. <laughs> Until then, you can get over. Maybe I can go back and edit it and put something really clever down there. Um, we are coming at you live, actually live, for uh, the first time in a long time, on location at Urban Artifact. Um, because we are talking the missing link, which um, we touched on a little bit, whatever episode that was, uh, where you were on Mike. How how many weeks ago was that? Like a I don't know. I don't know. Five, I don't, I'm, not, maybe, I'm not good. Four, I'm not five, good with like time, that. but. Um, I did try. I decided to be uh, to show up to this one sober. <laughs> it's, it's, it's never fun. <laughs> I mean, I hope to correct it. But, uh. <laughs> to be fair, when you were on the show last time, um, I think I was probably I don't know, like forty-five minutes late or something like that, trying to get down to OTR yeah. from Kenwood. So you were late. I was early, and there was a bar. <laughs> so really, yeah, it was not my fault. I think it turned out good. We. We ended up recording uh, an episode of the Brewcast and then an episode of Drinking with the Gnome after it, too. So it was uh, an action-packed uh, <laughs> evening. It was fun. I, uh, my wife got mad at me for staying out too late, but um, it was fun. She's how it gets to Let's run around. Everybody introduce yourselves, uh, starting with you, Brett. Everybody let people know who you are so that they can hear your voice and um, make sense of it. Try to remember. Yeah. Uh, I'm Brett, and um, I work at Urban Artifact make the beer here with uh, the other brewers and whatnot, um, kind of do all the work that needs to be done that I guess is less glamorous, the boring stuff. I do the boring stuff, paperwork you, and all that crap that I don't like. You've also, and it's it's a podcast where people can't see you, but you have a haircut now, and I still can't quite adjust to it. <laughs> it's only, definitely more aerodynamic, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know. How I, I have a very it. pointy head, so that helps. <laughs> speed through. Uh, I'm Andrew. I, I don't work here. I, I drink the beer here. All of it. Lots of it, I guess. I don't know what else I need to say about myself. Uh, I'm Josh. I'm one of the other brewers or whatever Brett was talking about. <laughs> one of the other people who just does things that need done. Yeah. You are... Uh, what's the official job title? Some kind of director of wood or something like that? Cellar master? I don't know. It, it says home or head brewer on my business card, but it, I don't know. Mostly do like wood aging stuff here. Yeah, Josh runs the wood aging, wood aging program for us. So I don't know. Wood manager? <laughs> <laughs> Bottle filler? <laughs> Fruit stuffer? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like you could. I feel like you could work some kind of like some kind of bung reference into there too. And Josh like has spent could. hours stuffing fruit into bungles. <laughs> I'm Mike Morgan. I also don't work here, but also just hang out and drink the beer yeah, the way so the rest of us do. You play a big role in this story. This is this is a the show. I guess is pretty much just talking about this one beer. We don't do this very often. Um, usually, we kind of meander around. But um, this is such a cool story, and it in a lot of ways starts with you. I mean, in a lot of ways, it starts you know a really long time ago. But um, the story itself starts with you, and uh, it's very fitting that we were able to uh, to get all of these people together to. Uh, to tell this story. So, uh, I mean, I guess we should start kind of on the, what should we just drink it first and talk about what it tastes like or. Yeah, let's do that. Cause we're already, yeah. we're already, I'm half a glass in already. Yeah, I'm so. not. And I'm, I'm starting to break <laughs> a sweat and I need a, uh, I need a beer. So from the beer fridge, gotta have the, uh, the sound bite. I spent a lot of time making it. We have to use it every show. Don't laugh <laughs> <Yeah>. at me. <laughs> no, I like it. That's perfect. <laughs> we, have, I think, we have a bunch of other ones too, somewhere from that we used to use, you know, the lightning round and things like that. I think about you playing guitar every time I hear that. That's not actually me playing the guitar. Oh, it's not. No, it's very disappointing. Oh, I um, thought it was you this whole time. No, it's uh, it's completely computer generated. Oh, so, not as fun. Sorry. <laughs> can you play the guitar? I can play the guitar. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. It just seems weird. But it's not me playing it. Uh, <laughs> <It's>, 
<laughs> tell me, <laughs> tell me about the beer. Start off with just you know the the basics of, you know, not the story behind um, how how it came to be, but just the beer itself. What is it? So, Missing Link is what we call a historic golden ale, which. If you get past the pretension of that statement, it's basically a beer that we have designed to highlight the flavors and attributes of this yeast, which is where the whole story lies anyway, is in the yeast, which we'll get to. So this beer in particular is five and change percent ABV. It's really simple with just the lightest pale malt we could get. Uh, we didn't go Pilsner malt because I don't really like the grainy character of pills personally. So we went with a light pale ale malt and that was it. We kept the hops super minimal. We added like 25, 30 IBUs, bittering charge, a little bit at flame out just to add a little bit of depth, but not too much to it. And that was it. And then we just fermented it fairly cool, over pitched a lot of yeast and try to just drive home the, the yeast character of this beer. This is not a sour beer. No. Right? There's, I mean, it's, it's straightforward. It's clean. It's uh, it highlights the yeast, like you said. It's this is, in some ways, the most normal of beers that you guys have made, and then in other ways, not. Yes. <laughs> so it still fits once you know the story. But if somebody just handed you this beer, you'd be like, oh yeah, this is just cleanest a, a, wild a, beer you've a, ever had. <laughs> yeah. Is it yes. is it a wild beer if the yeast is brewer's yeast? I think so. Like, yeah, it's brewer's yeast, but it's it's been so far out of use. Like, at, like at what point does does somebody abandon something and then come pick it up again? Is it is it like still the same organism? Yeah, I don't. You're asking me like I can answer that. I have no idea. You ask me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, since we're, let's just let's, let's let's dive in and explain what it is. I guess it it's like a wild dog. Like you know, there's still there's some heritage and history there of it being at one point in time tamed, but it's been so long since it's been released and used in the way in which it was domesticated that it is at least at the very least wild to us and wild to the experience that the customer is going to have. And it was flavor wise and how it fermented, not anything we expected. It came out, uh, the very first batch we did, which we brewed this, this is the second time we brewed this. Now the first time we brewed it, we did a small pilot batch. We brewed it. It came out and it tasted like a Belgian pale uh, without as much hop character, Belgian golden. And it was, we were confused. We thought we messed up, didn't know what was happening. So we just threw it the whole batch away. Brewed it again, it tasted the exact same. So, like, okay, well, I guess this, this is just what this <laughs> yeast is. So we scaled it up. We made some couple minor tweaks. We increased the bitterness. But really what you have here is, is a beer that, it, it, to me, it tastes like a golden, a Belgian golden single. Like, it's, it's mild on that Belgian esterous. Like, you get a little bit of that bubblegum, maybe a hair, banana, and clove. But it's all pretty subdued. Uh, so, yeah, like, it's, it is wild. It isn't sour. It is wild. I mean, I guess that's what our yeast manufacturer calls it, too. But people can't see you doing air quotes when you say wild like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need a sound effect for that one. Well, you know, the haircut and the air quotes, they go together. <laughs> well, I'm, I, actually, I, when did this, when were the cellars last open? Do you think, Mike? I think they were probably last used around about the either the eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties, unless somebody was using that tank during Prohibition. Mm. So, like, close enough to, like, just after the discovery of germ theory, that it like it wouldn't have been cultivated yeast necessarily. It would have just been like shoved from tank to tank to tank to tank. Yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, F, F and J Link stopped fermenting beer there in 1860. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that this yeast goes back that far. So uh, go, go ahead and dive into the story a little bit. This is the missing link. If, if anybody picks this up and doesn't know what they're getting into, Link is spelled wrong. And there's a reason for that because this is not there's a story here. So get into kind of the, the history side of it. Um, what is the F and a J, whatever the, the, the initials are, the, the, the Link Brewery. And um. the F and J A Link Brewery, actually, it, it only existed for about five years, but it had this really rich history to it. It opened in 1855, and it opened right around when we had a big election riot in Cincinnati. So uh, one of F and J A Link's 
original brewers was stabbed to death in the street uh, in this <laughs> riot. Really quickly wow. after the brewery opened, too, wasn't it? Like, wasn't it like the, in the spring of that year or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that doesn't, you know, with all of like the 60-some breweries open in Cincinnati today, that doesn't happen with any of them. I mean, there's, not, one, there's not a single, nobody in the first week, somebody just gets, a brewer gets stabbed in the street. Well, I assume he was German, right? So yeah. he was asking yeah, for right, it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Next year is an election year. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way you so better watch out, The way you wrote it in your book, too, it was uh, described that not only... So the, the brewery had kind of two locations, the brewery and then the, the lagering cellars and the, the malt house were in a separate spot a couple blocks apart, and this fight breaks out in between them. And not only is this brewer caught up in it, the, the owners of the brewery were somehow wrapped up in it, too. And it was just this, I get this picture of this big, like, street fight happening. It's amazing. I just Yeah, so one of the owners, one of the links, Frank Link, uh, he was running for city council that year. So not only does the brewer get stabbed to death, but uh, Link actually winds up representing that part of Over the Rhine for ends city council. He ends, he ends up winning after the kind of re, re- constructed the votes. I'm not really sure the integrity of that process, but uh, one way or the other, Link winds up becoming um, a member of city council. He represents over the Rhine. And so the brewery operates for about five years. They actually bottled for a while, and they had a separate company that bottled their beer. I have no idea why the hell their malt house and their lagering cellar was a couple blocks away from their brew house, but uh, it was. And then eventually, you know, what you saw at that period of time was this huge spike in breweries in the 1850s. And it's because technology was improving, but it's primarily because breweries started to understand lager yeast. They started to have access to lager yeast. So we have this explosion of breweries. We went from having about 15 of them to 15, 16 of them to 36 of them in about a 10-year period of time. So it's not as rapid as the growth is now, but it was unprecedented then. And F&J Link was one of those. They were part of this whole tidal wave of breweries, and then they went out of business by 1860, and that was that. Uh, and then after that, Frank Link also had, he, he still continued to do kind of interesting things. He um, was a sutler in the Civil War, so he you know, brought, he sold stuff to soldiers in the field. But one of the things that he was most famous for, he sold to German companies, and he brought them beer. So he was this whole, you know, he, he had this heroic property of bringing Union soldiers good beer in, like, the middle of some forest in West Virginia. So he did that. He made money at that. And then he got out, and he became a maltster. And he got really rich as a maltster on the west side of Cincinnati. So... He hung around for a long time, and um, what then happened to the space is the lagering cellars got bought by a guy that was just a speculator, and he started to rent the space out. And around about 1863, I think, so we're during the Civil War, part of the South has opened up, and the beer market has opened up. So the breweries are doing well. But they also can't get labor, and it's really time-consuming and cost-intensive to dig these lagering cellars. So about 10 of the largest brewers in Cincinnati leased this space, this F&J Link lagering space, at the same time. And they all used it for about 10 years. So part of, uh, part of the story of this and part of the mystery of this yeast and this tank is who the hell it belonged to. Uh, because not only do you have the fact that this brewery was defunct, but you've got damn near every brewer that mattered in the city of Cincinnati in the mid to late 1800s all touched this brewery. You know, they were all in this space. So you're so, talking about you know, Christian Moorline, Windish Mulhauser, Jackson, Kaufman, uh, George Clotter, the Buckeye Brewery. I mean, they were all there, yep. all using that space in some capacity. So All those cats. And we... We can just, I mean, it's a, it's a lagering cellar, so we assume that they were just using it to store beer, but then this vat's still there, so... Yeah, that's part of why the vat doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's a mystery. Right. 
Yeah, uh, which is what makes it so fun. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a, a fermenting tank. And, you know, what they did, when you look at that tank and you see pictures of that tank, um, you know, that doesn't come through that well on radio. Uh, but when you see those pictures, <laughs> you see those pictures online and things, you know, you'll see that there's two sets of valves on that tank. And what they would do at the time was let the beer ferment in these open wooden tanks. And they were open because they thought it needed a lot of oxygen to ferment properly. And after it sat and fermented uh, longer than beer ferments today, they would drain it out of that top spigot. And then drain the rest of it out of the lower spigot. And that's what would have the yeast in it. So they would then just, you know, reuse that yeast and kept tossing it back in. And so you you talked a little bit, uh, probably was it during the show or before the show? We were talking about prohibition and not knowing necessarily if the tunnel was still used during prohibition for something. Um, is I mean, is there a chance that that could be the source of some of the stuff that maybe somebody was down there using that space to to, to brew or whatever at that time period instead to try to have a space that people maybe weren't it's, looking at it's one of the it's one of the theories and it um i think it makes a lot of sense so you know i don't i don't know if we're if somebody was using that tank during prohibition it, it would explain why somebody was using a fermenting tank in a space that was probably traditionally just lagering space um so I don't I don't know it makes sense but really the whole thing is just uh, you know you gotta you gotta pick a theory and and go with it because <laughs> well, it's <laughs> what's interesting about that tank too is it's it's big and it obviously did not go down there whole so it got moved in piece by piece and then it got built and assembled in there which means that it had to have been master craftsmen building this in there at a time that even if it was prohibition. Like, they're moving all this wood into this lagering cellar, and it's obviously a master cooper, and he was, it's probably pretty apparent who he is and what he's doing. Uh, so it's just, it's, did it happen in Prohibition? Did it happen earlier? Were they trying to just maybe ferment cooler, which is why they had it down there? I, I don't know. And like Mike was right. saying at the end there, you, we just, we picked our theory that we thought makes the most sense, and going with it well and, and what i love is that in the grand scheme of cincinnati beer the link brewery is just kind of a flash in the pan like it was a quick you know i was here for five years and then gone at a time when there were lots of breweries that were kind of you know doing that pop up and disappear and that and yet now it's got this legacy that's that's starting again in some little bit and living on and becoming something bigger than the the brewery itself could have possibly ever really been. <laughs> that's that's fun to me that uh, you guys are managing to give it this whole other legacy that uh, that it didn't necessarily have before. That's fun. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. 155 mm, yeah. years later, right? A couple of drunks stumble upon. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a hell. Of a, that's a hell of a delight to yeah. come back. <laughs> so, talk about how how this discovery was made. How you know. Um, how the, the I guess the cellar itself start there start about the tunnel and how that was kind of found and then how it ended up in my glass so they raised the malt house there on Ray Street and uh, at some point they sealed off the tunnels in the 1870s they replaced the malt house with a tenement building it's a beautiful apartment building down there now and then the lagering cellar was lost and that tenement building passed through hands several times I was in it a few times uh, in the, the 2000s. Model management purchased it a few years ago, 2016. They were looking for space to use. They were looking for like a vacant cavity in the building that they could run, I think, HVAC chases up. So they see this bricked off uh, doorway and they knock through that. And as has happened several times in Cincinnati's past, they said, uh, holy shit, we got a whole uh, <laughs> other floor here underneath our building. And so, you know, not only did they find this lagering cellar, but which has happened, which is what has never happened, is they walk down there and in this perfectly clean room, there's this tank uh, that's intact and hasn't rotted. So it's, it's, uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm a pretty hardcore atheist, but I think it's all about God. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, <laughs> even the tunnel itself, you know, a lot of the tunnels that have been discovered have been, you know, throughout the years used for trash and for things like that. It was people found out they were there and just kind of dumped stuff in them or mud got in through, you know, the, the underground cellar, you know, tunnels that, that, you know, would make sense, but they're not in great shape. Right. And the pictures that I've seen of this one are that it was really clean. And again, you, you talk about this, this tank being intact. That doesn't make a lot of sense for how, Humid and nasty these 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 tunnels can get. It it, it it's the perfect conditions for mold. Yeah, for for anything. <laughs> yeah, and not to mention that the the tank was left there in the first place, but then that it somehow survives that. It's it's it, it's. There are, it, it's even weirder than that. There are three of those bays, and two of them look more like what you're used to. You know, one of them has probably two foot of mud on the bottom of it. And the other one has a, a lot of mud and just trash. trash and shit in it. And the third bay, the one in the middle, is this one that's pristine with this tank. Yeah, I mean, it's the number of anomalies in this story and the things that just had to fall into place is pretty crazy. So God steps in, leaves this tank right. intact. Um, how then... Do you guys here at Urban Artifact? How does that all come together? How do you get involved? Well, that was that was Mike again. He uh, <laughs> he's been coming here for multiple years, bringing his uh, UC beer class here, and so you know we've gotten along pretty well, and we drink beers and kind of talk about what makes us different and all the wild yeast and captures we do, just as part of what we like to brew and how we brew. And so when this opportunity came up and Mike saw that there was a fermenter that was intact still, it was only natural to think, maybe there's some yeast in there. Maybe I should bring it up to these Urban Artifact guys. He brought it up to us and instantly curiosity was piqued. Like, how could it not be? Like, yes, I do want to go down into this creepy cave and see if we can <laughs> swap some yeast that's going to be good. I mean, at the very least, it's going to be a fun little adventure and expedition. And then we, you know, we can go out and get drunk afterwards and have a good time and laugh and just talk about how terrible it was. Which we it, did. Yes. <laughs> uh, but did you actually expect to be able to get anything viable from no, that? Definitely not. No. no. I, I, don't, I don't know what types of uh, environments you typically have the most success with getting yeast from. But I, I picture more of, you know happy fields with flowers and and you know things like that going on not like a nasty damp dark basement you know like and, and yeah there's no sugar down there there's nothing to eat for the yeast so like our only hope was that we caught something that was sporulated so it, it builds sporulated the yeast uh, first time that word has been used on the show <laughs> <laughs> well you know so the yeast will like basically build itself a hard little shell and then, which is the sporulation process, and then it will just sit and wait and hope that it falls into, like, food, basically. So it's, like, going dormant almost. Like exactly. A, like a cocoon? Yes. I yeah. know that word. Yes. Yeah, it's like a very hungry caterpillar. It's, it's more than just dormancy, though. It's, like, long-term, like, uh, you're getting put into, like, cold storage because they're shipping you to Jupiter-type, you know, <laughs> stuff. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. So we, I mean, at the end of the day, we got lucky and we found something that worked. We had one sample that was success out of 60 or so. Yeah. And I think this whole time we were probably being optimistic and blowing a little smoke up Mike's ass about how like, oh yeah, we'll definitely get something and this will work. And <laughs> as time went on, we led him on to more and more about how ridiculous and ludicrous this whole thing actually is and that we actually got anything, uh, but it was all just like, yeah, sure, we can definitely do that. <laughs> like, just so we could get down into these cellars and yeah. check things out. Yeah, it really wasn't. I, I think we were probably about three hours towards Chicago before they really broke it to me. You know, there's no, <laughs> there's no fucking way. <laughs> this is a complete waste of time. But we're going to get drunk in Chicago. So, uh. <laughs> and that we did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so when the last year when you guys brewed the first batch and there were lots of articles written about it, there were some other people that kind of jumped on and said it wasn't that big of a deal that... You know, we've found all kinds of Brett strains in our basement, and we've found this and we found that. And I don't know if, 
it's a uh, it wasn't explained well enough when people were talking about what this beer really is or if maybe some people are just grumpy anyways and are going to just be you know shitty about anything but um the likelihood of all of these pieces of this puzzle coming together is what makes this so fascinating and so fun and um I don't know. I, I, I hope that people can kind of understand that hearing this story and seeing how unlikely every little piece is. And yeah, that's and the thing. We can. It's, it's brewer's yeast too. Like this is that's not, it. Yes. This is not some normal like uh, wild yeast that you know is is extremely resilient and gets you know beat the hell out of all the time and can still survive. This is brewer's yeast, which. Granted, I'm sure that there are is brewer's yeast that kind of floats around the world, you know, just around, but in this environment and that is still intact on this brewing vessel. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. That that's, I mean, that's the thing. So if people are saying, yeah, people find wild yeast all the time. Well, yeah. And we have too, and we do, but like we found a brewer's yeast, a very distinct strain and species of yeast that was specifically cultivated and made by humans over 4,000 years. And not a strain that anybody has seen before, too. Yes, this yeah. is an undocumented genome. So it's a, the species is Cerevisiae, which is brewer's yeast. It's also baker's yeast. Uh, but the strain and the genome tied to, to our, our specific strain is undocumented as far as our genetic testing lab was able to determine. Did you guys get to name it? I guess we c- could and did. We did, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> we named it what? Missing Link. Yeah. yeah. We named it. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it uh, if it comes to its name, but uh, you know, if it, it uh, if you call, call it, but yeah. Yeah, Omega currently has it in their system as just UA Wild Sack, but. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll ask him to update. That's actually better than uh, missing link. <laughs> yeah, we'll ask him to update that, which actually ties into um, why we went to Chicago and the cool thing that we're doing with this, and that we gave this to so the city. Before we get to go, go back. So yes. the, the process itself: you get down in the cellar, you you swab the the tank, you mm, swab. Mm-hmm. I, I assume you swab kind of the the space itself around there, trying to get whatever kind of samples you can get. Yeah, we swabbed a lot of stuff. Where does it go from there? How do you how do you get those swabs to? Uh, so the swabs are then placed into uh, pasteurized uh, cans of unfermented beer, and uh, then we just kind of watch them for the next two or three months to see how they develop. Uh, so we're what we're looking for is to make sure that uh, the yeast fermented the. Uh, sugar profile of uh, the unfermented beer we're making uh, tasted not bad and also did it ferment in a reasonable time frame. And basically, uh, towards the end of that two, three month period, we sat down and tasted all of the samples that we had that we could tell that weren't immediately dangerous. Uh, like like there wasn't black mold sitting on top of it or, or uh, things a, like that. It's a good giveaway. And smell like, uh, like literal shit. Or, uh, I mean, just like that. And um, we took the most promising dozen or so samples and, and sent um, 50 milliliter vials to our, our, uh, our yeast company, like our yeast manufacturers, and had them um, uh, look and bank and grow, grow up samples of what they found, what we found. So then from there, then you, I guess, do they just call and say, hey, your, your yeast is ready <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean basically yeah <laughs> we sent them we sent them five samples we're like these are our favorites we think they have potential can you isolate the main fermenting yeast out of each sample and then also get them genetically identified for us so we know what uh, genus and species we're dealing with and then we'll come up and you can tell us like mori povich style uh so <laughs> this yeast is not your baby. <laughs> <laughs> so we they they reach out to us after we send them up like a month or so later. Three of the samples turned out where we were able to isolate a main yeast that was doing the heavy lifting for the fermentation and we sent those away and we got results. Why don't you guys come up sometime with we'll schedule a trip? So then we all drove up 
and met with them in person and they uh they kind of gave us this whole like they gave us a nice little sheet with like the genetic results on it and like the genus and the species and like they kind of break it to us like the first one's like candida which is like the yeast uh on your body yeah it's it on your body, body. Yeah, yeah it gives you uh it probably came off of one of us <laughs> it's it's the yeast infection yeast yeah um not great stuff. Another one, I don't remember what which, it was. Which one of you did that come up with? Yeah. <laughs> Josh does the bunghole stuff. Uh, the next one was if like... If you just tuned in live, go back to the game of the show to explain that joke. Yeah. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> the next one was a like secondary or tertiary flavor yeast that's found in a lot of wines, especially like natural fermented wines and stuff like that. Not really a good candidate for us. It's not going to ferment out and... Uh, uh, as fully as we need and attenuate, it's not just not going to be good. It might be good in a blend, but just on its own, not great. So then we get to the third one, and then they drop basically the bomb on us and like this is a Saccharomyces cerevisiae, a brewer's yeast, and like here's the results and like we didn't expect this and it's a brewer's yeast and it's undocumented and we couldn't figure out what strain it came from or where it's from or anything like that. And um, there we go. Cheers and. High fives were had. <laughs> so at this point, you still don't know what it's going to taste like, though. You still it has, still has to be brewed with. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh-huh. So then you get this yeast, and I guess you come back with it. And then how do you? How does that discussion happen? And how does that? Do you try to replicate something that would have been a beer that was made then to kind of showcase what this beer could have been then? Or you know, how does that? happen that that would have been really hard to do because modern malting is so different than malt was back then like we like the back then it probably like i mean when did they stop using smoking like when when was it you could get not smoked malt at least by the mid to late 1800s they were using i think primarily gas Mm. but uh so it i think it stopped being really smoky Somewhere in the 19th century. Okay, Industrial Revolution, right? Yeah, somewhere in there. It would be. It would just be really hard to replicate a beer beyond like having yeast like this, and e- like even yeast like this. Um, that we're, we're pitching in such high pure culture rates that it would it also would not necessarily have been like it. Um, so really, no, what we just picked was something as neutral and clean as possible to to see what the yeast tastes like, because it because it could taste like garbage. It's a modern palate appeasing approach to brewing a historic inspired beer. If we went, like Josh was saying, full on recreation mode, we're going to get something that people would be interested to try, but no one wants to drink. It's not <laughs> a, modern palate well, anymore. That's a great way to put it. Like it's, when, you, when you call something a historical ale, there's very different ways that that could go. And. Um, there's lots of beers that I've had that are that are gimmicky in a way to just kind of say, "Hey, look, this is, you know, what this was supposed to taste like," and you know, whatever century. Or there's there's breweries even that have this whole process that's a little Carillon. Yeah, you know the. I, I don't know that I would ever like say, you know what I need right now. I just I, I really need their you know whatever their, their blonde ale. It's just that's that's what I need right now. But it's neat, and I appreciate what that is. But. I like that this did not go that direction. I would be curious to see somebody go that direction with it and try to play around with it and try to do something like that. It'd be interesting, but I'm not going to sit there and, you know, buy a case of it and drink it sitting by the pool. Whereas this, eh, I might, <laughs> you know, um, I, I hope somebody does that actually, you know, in a, in a small batch for the, it would be neat to, to kind of to, to play around with. Um, so on that note, let's talk about kind of where it's going from here, what this whole day is about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so the, the day is tomorrow if you're listening live if you're not listening to live it was this weekend yeah june 1st 2019 is officially missing link day uh went through the city of cincinnati city council and the mayor voted unanimously on naming june 1st missing link day and we officially gave the yeast to the city of cincinnati and (laughs) Did, did they have like a it was like an actual like meeting and stuff where they were all sitting there like and they 
Yeah, actually, for reasons that had nothing to do with us, it was a contentious as hell meeting. <laughs> it was very awkward before we got yeah. up there. Yeah, there were a lot of people being evicted by FC Cincinnati, and there oh, were other people man. worried about being maimed by tigers. And uh, we had beer trampled, <laughs> trampled by elephants. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a little awkward, but uh, <laughs> it was good. Did you did you have to explain any of like what this is all about to them, or was it just kind of we 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 want this? Is it cool? And they're like, yes, you know. <laughs> I think I think Mike did most uh, yay explaining. Or nay. Do they do yay or nay? Is that how the, the vote goes? <laughs> That's how it goes I think they said yes. We we drafted up a resolution, and then Chris Seelbach got in front of City Council, and he read this entire resolution, and then they voted on it. And then they... That's very fancy looking. Oh, it's so yeah. fancy. And then they, they all voted yes. And then we got this nice little thing and this resolution document. And we gave them a little plaque uh, with some pieces of wood on them uh, and some vials to represent the, the tank in which we pulled the yeast from. And that was that. And we, we made a... We have a, we have a holiday now. I'm kind, of, <laughs> I'm kind of bummed that he didn't shout whereas... <laughs> Every time it's written in that document. So, resolution number R37 2019, recognizing and celebrating Urban Artifact Brewing Company for discovering and returning to the public a living piece of Cincinnati's brewing history. Whereas in 1855, <laughs> and then there's about, I don't know, eight paragraphs of whereasing, and then it, it comes down to be it resolved that the council of the city of Cincinnati, state of Ohio, that the mayor and city council recognize and celebrate Urban Artifact Brewing Company for discovering and returning to the public a living piece of Cincinnati's brewing history. And there we go. Passed on and May it, it, 30th. It is an actual, uh, the difference between a resolution and a proclamation, there's a semi-important legal difference. I mean, they're both ceremonial, but um, <laughs> everybody has, like, anything, any shit you want to get a proclamation for, you can type it up, you send it to the mayor's office, and he's got somebody that takes a rubber stamp and he puts a stamp on it and they send it to you with a seal. Resolution is actually, uh, goes down in the city's history of leg it goes down in its legislative record so uh it's it's a bigger deal and it was a cooler thing to happen and chris sealbach's office uh made it happen so thanks to those guys and uh and sealbach had the beer last night good. and and really dug it yeah so, that's pretty uh, awesome that you know, was a good thing he to didn't to thank you out. chris yeah <laughs> <laughs> So the, the the whole point of this is that the, the the yeast itself is being given back to Cincinnati, or I guess anybody technically. Yeah, I mean, I guess at this point in time, it's it's not legally ours, and it's we opened it up at Omega to public domain, so anyone could come call up and order this yeast. So homebrewers could call them and order. No. <laughs> I don't know how that works. They could. I've been lying to a bunch of people about that, so that's good. Well, they like legally can, but Omega isn't gonna make like small homebrew sized batches. It's just not worth their time and money. Now, maybe if there's a big enough like push for it, and like what our plan is is so Ju missing link day, June first, which is tomorrow. June 1st. Uh, we're having a big celebration and, and party and beer release, and we want to do this every single year. And this first year is is just us. It's us at Urban Artifact. We brewed this beer. We're doing a big can release. But we really want to turn this into a celebration of Cincinnati's brewers, past, present, and future. So what we really want to do is get everyone on board in the city as much as we can at least, to buy this yeast, brew a commercial batch, we'll buy some kegs, cans, whatever, we'll have it at the festival, we'll celebrate all this wonderfulness, and we also want to get the homebrewers involved, so if there's enough critical mass, we can actually reach out to Omega and get homebrew yeah, batch size orders. But currently, you they're not going to do it. They, they only do like six out of their like 50 strains for, for homebrewers, so okay. like, that was a long way to say you can't right now if you're a homebrewer. But, but you hopefully hit, it's part of the plan. And if you hit us up, we can we'll pull a pitch unless for you, you. Unless or, you want to buy a shit ton of yeast as a home brewer, yes, you could. You <laughs> yeah, I guess you could spend 
you could buy a, a two barrel pitch for like 120 bucks if you really wanted to. Well, and I mean, a club like yeah, the like Blotarians or something, or something could do that. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, a yeah. club could definitely go in. And if, yeah. if there's a club out there, a homebrew out there that wants to, just reach out to us and we'll facilitate that that for you. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you get enough people together, 120 bucks for yeast is really not that. No, crazy. it's not. And that would be enough mm-hmm. for an entire club. So the idea going forward is that on this day every year, there can be some kind of an event where you get a bunch of beers that are all made with this historic yeast, different interpretations of it, and just celebrate this bigger thing that, that we have in Cincinnati, which I like. It's you know the, the community side, the, the history side that I feel like is something that is special to Cincinnati. I'm, not that other cities don't have brewing history, but I don't know that any cities are as tied into it as we are and celebrated as much as we do in Cincinnati. Um, I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's fun. Oh, it's um, going to be great. Bachfest is to the style of Bach beer that we want this festival to be for the brewers and the people who consume their products. So Bachfest is very narrow in its focus and we want to open that up and celebrate the brewers and the drinkers in our city. Uh, it's ambitious, but I don't know. It seems fun, and I think we can achieve it. It's, and I think, I mean, I, um, I haven't even said a lot of the weird shit that I want to do with this out we, loud to these we, guys. We, we talked a little bit with the last time you were on about kind of Bachfest and how that happened and yeah. what, how you went with that. And um, you've had a long time since then for your mind to wander into. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't. I mean, it's been it's been uh, it's been uh, I think six years now that I haven't done. I haven't like spent a lot of my time and energy thinking. You know what crazy shit can I do uh, coming up for a festival? So um, yeah, this thing. I mean, when I started running Bachfest, I had five hundred dollars, and it took place over three hours in one night. Uh, so, you know, in 10 years, I grew that to $150,000 budget, three days, a month of crazy shit in advance. And um, I, I plan to do the same thing with Missing Link Fest. Bachfest so. is a $150,000 budget. It's insane. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, there's a lot of shit going on at Bachfest now. Well, yeah. it's, it's fun if the city can find more things like this to, you know, inject beer events that do kind of you know take part with the whole city instead of just being you know at this brewery or at right. this brewery or this brewery you know Bachfest what makes it so fun is that it is spread out what makes Oktoberfest fun is that that week you do have lots of events happening in other places it's the the you know the the failure of Cincinnati Beer Week is that it kind of collapsed on itself because people weren't celebrating and this is uh Oh, yeah, Cincinnati Beer Week died real hard. (laughs) (laughs) It died hard and very ugly. Um, But this is that opportunity to create things that... um, Not that Cincinnati Beer Week was ever like a generic kind of thing, but it kind of was. It felt that way. It was generic. This is something that's being born of something that's that's real and something that's exciting and something that's... uh, different than what anybody else has and I, th- I think that's cool i think it's going to be great for the city and I, I think it can be really great for north side as well i mean um you know Bachfest, not to keep going back to that but Bachfest has been good over the years for a whole lot of people i mean there's a lot of bars and businesses that make a lot of money as a result there there were years where you know people told me without that weekend um we would have gone under so, um, you know, and that had to do with hard times down there in the hood. But the, the point is, is that it's done good things for people. And I think that this, this festival can do great things for Urban Artifact. It can do great things for uh, a lot of other breweries in this city and great things for the neighborhood. And well, we can all get drunk on great beer. And, and for just the, the brewery district, too. To like, to, there are still so many people that I talk to. Like, oh, well, what do you mean there's tunnels? And you have to explain to them what's going on down there and the things that exist. And, you know, when somebody tastes this beer and then you start to tell them the story, I want to go see it now. Like, that's the thing that, you know, ties it all together. I want to I I go see what's going on in that side of it. And um, it's awesome. It's fun. And we're actually doing uh, next week, next Saturday... Uh, we're going to do, or 
Urban Artifact really is doing a fundraiser for the brewery district. And um, this beer will be available next Saturday down in over the Rhine beside this tunnel. And we'll take people through the actual tunnel. That oh, cool. Where'd you get that? From. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, neat. That's so, we'll, awesome. have the, we'll have the beer with the tunnel. Oh, and that'll be a we fundraiser. bringing beer to that. Yeah. <laughs> Please remember to save some beer tomorrow. Uh, I have on my calendar that I'm going to be there. Just got to make sure we save some cases. <laughs> right. If you're there and you don't bring the beer, there's... <laughs> There'll be another riot in the streets where someone, a brewer, will get stabbed. <laughs> me, me? Is that a threat? <laughs> I still cannot get this image out of my head of this big street fight happening. At this, like, I just picture, you know, Dan Listerman here and you know, <laughs> Brady over here. I don't think Dan Listerman could die. I think he could get stabbed 50 times and he would just look like death for a year and then somehow just be recovered. But any kind of street fight that has to do with beer, I picture him like in the there, like in the middle of it. Like, oh, he'd be screaming like German words that like are half correct, like just stabbing people, hitting them with shillelaghs and stuff, which aren't even German, but he would. He, he used to when they when they used to come to the Bachfest parade. Uh, I was thinking of this today at random. I was walking back uh, from the bar where I had lunch because I was hungover, and I just started at random thinking about the fact that Dan used to come to that parade, and he would bring like a flatbed uh, cart yeah. and he would uh, he would brew on it. I mean, he had like propane and fire rolling down the street just drunk as fuck uh, throwing hops off of it. No. <laughs> I mean, the fact that there was nobody that wound up with a third degree burn <laughs> was just a miracle. That in and of itself was a miracle. Oh, how the world changes or doesn't change that much. <laughs> So, is there other plans for you guys um, in the meantime or already for, for next year of, of other things you can do with this yeast and other ways that you can implement it? Or is this just a kind of a, a once a year thing that you guys are going to play with? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Andrew, do you want to see us do anything with this yeast? Because <laughs> That's a really good question. I, I don't have any plans. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really intriguing when you think about, like, what this beer and like you know things like Bachfest, like what that does for the community, right? Because it opens people up to um, you know just just this type and a style of beer that's really unique, hasn't been done before, um, and you know whereas they might not be, they might not be like open to that, you know, experiencing that. So um, yeah, I definitely want to see you guys do some more stuff with that beer. Hmm. I don't know what that means, but it'd be interesting to see. Like, and I, I love the idea of bringing in other breweries, things like that, you know have them do their take on it and then kind of come together to make this this festival you know happen every year i think a homebrew competition would be fun yeah. it would be really fun that'd be sweet and we get to judge people <laughs> which is also fun <laughs> i feel like this is one of those beers that if it was on frequently would do really well in the tap room yeah um i think one of the only complaints i ever hear from people is that there isn't that normal kind of beer and this this fits so I'm so tired of hearing you say that. Every time I see you, you say that. I don't say that every time. We have Fultons. I don't say that every time. We got Kronbacher. But, but this is... Stone IPA. But Do you guys just run into each other in the street and he, he's just, he says, Josh, you should have a more normal beer. I don't want more normal. And, and, so, last time I saw Andrew was at the For the Sour podcast and it came up then. And Did it, it come just, up then? Yeah. I just feel like it always comes up, but it's... Like, no, no, I was just giving you shit. Well, so that reminds me, we should start a podcast that's only just annoying sounds. It's like someone grinding their teeth they exist. for like what's five that? minutes. What's what's the, the sound thing that they do? What's what's that like uh, the A M R A M A S M R? Yes, like it's annoying. It's just like sounds. Can you like do A S M R for annoying sounds? Someone like sucking their teeth. It's all annoying. It's like crinkling <laughs> things and like breathing into the mic hard. <sighs> this is a really good opportunity to, to workshop. Scratching <laughs> yourself. <laughs> just just real annoying shit. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I completely forgot where I was going with it. But <laughs> my point on normal beer for Urban Artifact is that I don't want something normal for Urban Artifact, and it's really hard to find something that fits that that need of those people that are 
that I guess were standing there with their, their PBRs that, that fits that need that still represents who you guys are and the stone IPA and whatever, you know, else you have down there does not represent that at all. Whereas this does like, this is, this, this fits some of that, that need, I think for those drinkers, but still is very much you guys. And I, I, that's what I love about this. I should have let you finish that. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I'm just sick of really good beer and I want a PBR. (laughs) I I don't think you guys. No, it does make a lot more sense to have like for our wild beer to be our normal beer. Yeah. And how, like, how else do you do that other than something like this? Like it just, it's, that's a good point. Yeah. Not intentional, but yeah. (laughs) What else do you guys want people to know about Missing Link Day, Missing Link, um, or anything else? Yeah, so if you're listening live or you listen between now and tomorrow, um, (laughs) the event starts at 4 p.m. We're going to have beer tasting classes led by Mike. We're going to have tours of the brewery with beers attached to that, uh, led by our events manager, Tyler Hill. Uh, We're going to have a screening of the documentary that we, we made about, about that, yeah. we made a whole entire documentary about this process thanks to 779 uh, I don't know maybe Mike wants to tell how he roped them in yeah those guys uh, 779 video they're down and over the Rhine and they do spectacular work most of it is corporate but they're a professional video production company and uh, they fortunately for us were bored doing the corporate stuff they do and so when i called them up they're friends of mine and i said hey we're going to go down into this lagering cellar and you know on this fool's errand to look for yeast and some old vat do you want to film it and they said yes so uh they did it and then as this progressed you know we said we asked them if they wanted to come to chicago and get hammered and film a little maury povich episode where this uh, guy named Lance told us that everything we had was dog shit. Uh, and uh, they said, sure, you know. And so they, they've just been fantastic sports about it over two years. And they have produced this documentary. It's only about 20 minutes long. It's, I think it's really good. Uh, and uh, people should come out and check it out. That's another good point. This was a two-year process at this yeah. point in time. Like, we're talking about this like it all was happening, bang, 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 bang. Like, this has been a very long time coming. There, there was a lot of editing. And, I mean, at some point, you know, uh, Dan at 779 said, when we first did this, we agreed to do it. We thought it'd be fun. We also didn't think it would mean much. So, I really wish now that, you know, we hadn't just sent the fucking intern. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's 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 been a lot of footage that's been really well edited and put together and it's it's good film it's free so you know come out for anybody that does not make it down on saturday is there a way that they can watch the uh, documentary um i'm pretty sure we'll upload it to youtube after the premiere on saturday so yeah we'll blow it out through our channels too if you follow us on instagram facebook uh, Twitter, uh, I don't know, is there others? Sna- Snapchat. We don't do Snapchat. <laughs> LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Get on our LinkedIn. Friendster. Oh. Uh, hit us up for a recommendation. We got you on those skills or whatever the hell they do on that. Yeah. Write us a letter. <laughs> we'll mail a copy. VHS, of course. <laughs> I like to still write letters when I bitch about things. It makes them more formal. Classic do you, do you old send them, or do you just sit on them and then decide <laughs> no, to send I, them later? I mail them. I mean, I know nobody's going to actually really read them, but it's, uh, it's cathartic. I feel good about it. It's out there. I said, you know, I hand it to the postman, and I've accomplished something. Wouldn't it be better if you, like... <laughs> I've called somebody a dick in writing. <laughs> you should, you should hand-deliver them, though. You should bring them and thrust it at the person. Here. You get arrested for that these days. For thrusting at somebody? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And on that topic, <laughs> old thrusty gnome. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a uh, like a whiskey brand or something. <laughs> oh lord! Uh, Could be a gay bar, the thrusty gnome. The thrusty gnome. <laughs> it, all only men under five foot eight. I should have been drunk for this one. (laughs) It told you it usually goes better. Um, Is there anything else going on with Urban Artifact? Uh, Just bigger picture stuff you want anybody to know about while we've got you on the show? 
Sure. Yeah, we got um, pickle coming out. It is our number one most asked for beer every year, all the time. Um, <laughs> we have so much of that. So we'll have a lot of that coming at the end of the month, just in time for your July 4th barbecues. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, we also have spicy pickle coming in 16-ounce cans uh, as part of our Epicurean line, which if you're not familiar with the Epicurean line, it's, it's a new line that we're putting in cans now. It's all beers inspired by food meant to be consumed with food. Uh, it's really fun and creative for us. Uh, we've done a pineapple upside down cake. We just released salted rye bread goza. Uh, and then spicy pickle will be our next. And then, oh, uh, the brute fruit tart. It's mm-hmm. a new style of beer that we are launching in like two weeks. And basically, we have a sommelier on staff, and he really loves wine, of course. Uh, we also are all big fans of wine. And there's always been like these attempts at like a wine beer hybrid, but to me, they always fall flat. It's like a beer that maybe vaguely somewhat kind of a little bit resembles wine, maybe, mm-hmm. or has a touch of grapes in it. Well, that's, that's not really our style. So what we did is said, screw that. If we're going to do a wine beer hybrid, we're going to make a wine beer hybrid. So we threw a, like literally um, tons of grapes into this beer. It's like 12% alcohol, like wine. It's going to be in 10-ounce cans. Cost a shit ton of money to make. So it's going to be a little more expensive. Uh, four packs for 15 bucks, which is still a lot cheaper than wine is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be delicious. Uh, I'm super excited about it. So this is, it's a new style. We're looking forward to doing it. We're going to do a bunch of different grape varietals and all that fun stuff over the years. Um, and the first one's a Chilean Malbec. Uh, so it should be really good. When, is, when are we going to see that? Like two, three weeks from now. Oh, so We're same. canning it next week, and then it'll probably get released the week after, and you'll see some. It's a smaller batch to start, test the waters and whatnot, but right. you should be seeing a lot more of that. That's fun. Yeah, that's a. I guess I don't know. What else do you got? Anything? Uh, the thing I'm working on is getting ready for the extinction event in September, which is going to be a big unveiling of a bunch of new um, dinosaur, what age, like fruit heavy beers, or oh, everything's going to be spontaneously fermented. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. yeah so I, I don't. You probably remember how we had a bottle release at Bewilderfest the past couple of years, and Bewilderfest has morphed from what was a supposed to be a very weird beer event with music <laughs> and it's basically turned into just music so um it's quite good at what it is but it's not what we envisioned as brewers it's more what our sound team envisioned as uh, their like uh piece de resistance music festival for the year so that being the case we've decided to gracefully bow out and start our own <laughs> beer event that's more what we envisioned from the get-go and this is all about spontaneous beers we're calling it the extinction event because we name all of our spontaneous beers after dinosaurs and other extinct animals or plants uh and it's really going to be a awesome blowout of all things spontaneous beer and uh a little bit of wine too so lots of bottle releases lots of fun tappings and uh, Sign me up for that one. <laughs> yeah, same, 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 same. Mike, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, there's a thing called Father's Day, and what your dad needs for it is a copy of the book Cincinnati Beer, That's good. which you can get at CincinnatiBeerBook.com. I don't care. There's <laughs> pictures. Uh, <laughs> if you want to do an audiobook version, let me know. <laughs> Will you please do that? Will you get really drunk and record an audiobook? <laughs> yes. <laughs> every day, every, just record like two chapters at a time and throughout them, like, it's progressively getting drunk and then you start again. Like, and then. There's got to be a, a market for that. Like, yeah, drunk, yeah. Yeah. drunk audible book readings? Yeah. I would 100% like, get it. Like, like drunk history, I think, except yes. for beer. I think and audible readings. Yeah. Things. yeah, yeah. Yes. I think you're really great, but I'm probably never going to read the book you wrote. But if you read it drunk, I would listen to it. Absolutely. Right. I'm, I'm going to do it. That's fantastic. <laughs> you should come read it to me drunk. <laughs> Can I just stand out inside of your house, like, you know, the serenade kind no, of thing? No, sit on my bed. Look, sit on the side of my bed. You can give his cat insulin. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, where, can, where is the best place for people to go to get the book? 
CincinnatiBeerBook.com. There's a way. There's a. It's easy. You go to that uh, site and you can ask to have it inscribed. So you know you can. I did that. You can uh, ask on there. I'll I'll say whatever. Uh, you know, tell your dad to go get laid or whatever. Uh, whatever you want, I'll write it. And because uh, I'm because I'm a whore, <laughs> and uh, I'll mail it out to you. But uh, other than that, it's in all your major local bookstores and. Uh, so just what's really important is buy multiple copies of it. <laughs> <laughs> Father's Day, Christmas, any kind of right. event, uh, Thursdays, any kind of Thursday, event you can yeah. think of, get people the book. It, it really, 100%, I would say this even if it wasn't true because you're sitting here, but it really is the best book about Cincinnati's beer history that I've ever read. And I've read just about all of them that I could find. And um, I love it. I'm on my second read through it already. And... Um, Thanks, it's, it's awesome. It's covered in post-it notes and highlighter already. <laughs> but um, you should buy another copy. Yeah, I should. It's, it's getting pretty beat up. I need to get another one. Um, anybody who is listening to this live or the live version that'll be up for the next day, um, get down to Urban Artifact on Saturday the first for Missing Link Day and uh, and tell everybody that you know about it and talk about it for the next year so that all of our local breweries um, do something fun um, next year because I think this is a really cool idea and something that could turn into something um, unlike anything that I've seen in another city. So I think we get everybody um, to collaborate on one beer. No, that does not, <laughs> does not exist anymore. <laughs> so, it, it was like uh, herding cats trying to get that sour community show. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a community is very difficult these days. Not that people aren't friendly with each other, but um, people get really caught up in in what they're doing. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. We'll talk off the air. (laughs) It's hard to be friendly with other breweries when you hate yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everybody who is listening to the show, hopefully you're subscribed. If not, do that and tell all the people that you know that like beer and Cincinnati to also do that. Um, and do like social media things and follow and like and all that stuff of all the things you should. Um, we'll be back next week with Kerrigan. We're going to talk beer with them because they do have beer too. So, Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. <laughs>